This is an ABC podcast. This is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. So have you heard of employer-sponsored egg freezing? Your workplace paying for you to freeze your eggs. Is that a great idea? Or is it just a little bit creepy, Jono? I haven't really heard of this until we started discussing it this week, Rish, because it was introduced in the US in 2014 uh, at Silicon Valley by, you know, those corporate darlings, your Apples and your Facebooks. And since then, about one in five large US companies have followed suit, offering female employees funding to access egg freezing. But the big question is, when will Australian companies do this as well? And some of the experts are saying it's not too far away in Australia. Well, a survey was done. It was done by Monash University. We'll actually speak to the lead researcher a little later in the program. And it looked into this exact concept of egg freezing as an employee benefit. And it revealed that half of the 656 Victorian women that were surveyed, that half of them believed it would be appropriate for employers to offer it as a perk. But also women surveyed were concerned that it would pressure women to delay childbearing and basically just reinforce the career versus family debate that so many women have to unfortunately have. And I think the idea is that um, that it will help young female employees who might not want to have kids in their 20s but who, uh, but they might want to have kids in their 20s but don't want all the risks that come with delaying childbirth into their 30s and sometimes beyond. So there is this rise in women considering egg freezing at a young age and some professionals think that the fertility education and conversations need to start a bit earlier, maybe in high school and be more detailed and offer more realistic options like egg freezing. So if your boss offered to pay to freeze your eggs, what would you say? I mean, is it a work perk or is it just weird? If your boss is paying to freeze your eggs, what is that money buying them? And how complicated could all of this get? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. We have been discussing this at length all week, Jono, and I think every time we discuss it, more and more questions rather than answers are raised. And it's a fascinating concept. What would you do and how would you feel if your boss offered to pay to freeze your eggs? Is it a work perk? Is it something that would actually help women? Or is it all about reinforcing the career versus family debate? Associate Professor Kate Stern is the head of the reproductive unit at the Royal Women's Hospital and head of clinical research at Melbourne IVF. Kate Stern, welcome to the Conversation Hour. Is it becoming more common in general for young women to freeze their eggs? Well, yes, thank you for having me. It is becoming more common. I think there's an increasing awareness about the importance of your fertility and the fact that it does get compromised as you get older. And I think that's leading to more conversations and this increased awareness, you know, makes women think about what they want to do with their future and that's just such a great thing. Is there an ethical problem with an employer offering to pay for an employee's eggs to be frozen? It's very important for everybody to understand that decision about your reproductive future is, is a personal decision. It's not, a, it's not an organisational decision. It's a personal decision. And so really the best thing that workplaces can do is make the workplace conducive for young women to be able to have their families at a reproductively appropriate time. That's the most important thing. Associate Professor Kate Stern is with you. Kate, do you think over time, given that more women, younger women, are considering egg freezing for a variety of reasons now, maybe just to keep their options open and to have more choice, but we're also learning about things like endometriosis and we know that it can, things like cancer treatments, chemotherapy, radiation therapy can have an impact on your reproductive status. Will we start to see it become more accessible and more affordable for younger women to look at freezing their eggs, do you think? Oh, Rochelle, I really, really hope so. 
you know, unfortunately, there's no um, government support for egg freezing for patients unless they're about to immediately start cancer treatment. But there are lots of studies that show actually it's quite cost effective for women to have an increased chance of having a baby with their younger eggs rather than trying to get pregnant at 40 or so. And I think it's really important to remember that for a lot of women, it, it, it's not just that they want to keep working and climb the ladder. That That's a really... Um, that's a terrible stereotype. It's really that a lot of young women who want to have children are not in a situation or not partnered and and therefore they don't have the options to have a baby at that time and that's why they need to think about egg freezing. Mm. How much does it cost to have your eggs frozen these days? Well, I think it varies between centres, but it is somewhere between $5,000 and $8,000 sort of roughly. So it's very expensive and unfortunately it's prohibitively expensive for some patients. So is that maybe part of the reason why workplaces are offering it? And in that sense, I mean, there's a text here from Ruth that says, oh, guys, this topic is just way too creepy. No way. But (laughs) I know, and it kind of is a bit creepy. Yeah, it is. But the more you dig down into it and the more you discuss it, the more interesting it becomes. And I still haven't figured out how I feel about it. But if it's not achievable financially for a lot of women, is it a good thing then that workplaces could offer it? Well, I think the important thing is what comes with it. What's very important is for all young women to have an awareness of what their individual fertility is like and the options available to them. Now, you know, workplaces offer health programs, gym memberships, cardiovascular testing. It's what comes with that. And it's just very important to make sure that women need to be empowered to not feel coerced by um, any obligation. If a workplace is offering egg freezing, then that needs to be a free choice, an informed choice by a patient or an employee without any strings attached. So if it's just part of general looking after your your employees, then that's great as part of a general awareness program. Now, without any strings attached, that's that's the yeah. key phrase here because I imagine uh, with um, with IVF and any of these procedures, it is highly regulated. You've got to sign a lot of forms. You've got to sign, you know, um, specific legal forms before you do this. So what are the kind of legal protections that should be in place if an employer wants to offer this to employees and say, we'll pay for you to freeze your eggs? Well, I'm not an um, an expert on um, industrial relations or employer <laughs> relations, far from it. But what I can say is that when we have a conversation with a patient, we talk about the risks and the benefits and the patient reads widely and makes an informed decision that's really individualised for them. And clearly there can be no um, no employer obligation associ- employee um, obligation associated with any of that. Just finally, Associate Professor Kate Stern, some really interesting conversations at the moment around younger women having these options and I guess discussing these as options. Would you like to see just a change in fertility as a part of a, a wider education and how young should that start? Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, I think it needs to start in primary school and secondary school. There's a great program, Fertility Matters, which is now going to be integrated in high schools. But, you know, I'm surprised when we do surveys of adults, particularly adult men, dare I say it, who have no idea that fertility is compromised with age until you get to your mid-40s. You know, there, there really still isn't enough education and awareness and we need to start that very early. So it's just part of our normalised health education. I really, really support strongly this becoming part of our dialogue with our kids. Yeah, well, fair enough. Thank you for having a chat with us. Acting uh, Associate Professor Kate Stern, Head of the Reproductive Unit at the Royal Women's Hospital and Head of Clinical Research at Melbourne IVF. Rish, a number of texts on this. This one says, no, just no. <laughs> Women should be in control of their own eggs. The payment, etc. What if the employer doesn't keep paying? Because um, I think on average it's about, well, what would it be, 800 bucks or so each year to keep those eggs frozen, like there's an ongoing cost. So, but then keep... this is what we were discussing earlier, right? Mm. Why can't your boss then just give you a bonus or a pay rise and yep. then you can do 
what you want with that money and if choosing your eggs and then paying the 800 bucks a year yep. to keep them you know at at the health level they need to be at then that's your choice as well because i feel like and this is where i go backwards and forwards on this yeah. is somebody's buying a part of my body yeah, and you would want to make sure, I guess, as an employee, when you, I mean, you'd have to sign some kind of forms that there wouldn't be any catches, as um, as the associate professor said just then, that there's no strings attached, that the no, employer doesn't... No, fine print. No, no. fine print on this. <laughs> well, there's got to be fine. I mean, there's got to be lawyers involved here, surely. Um, let's have a chat with Anna, um, who has personal experience here. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. When did you freeze your eggs? I froze my eggs um, when I was 37 and I'm now 43. So, yeah, looking at about six years ago, I, I went through the process. And what was the thinking behind it for you? Um, look, my, but I can sort of say, you know, it wasn't something that was funded um, by an employer or anyone other than myself. Look, my, my thinking was really, you know, I was 37 years old, um, very aware of, of decreasing fertility you know, at that age, and also knowing that I just really wanted to be a mother and not being in, or not being partnered or in a position um, to make that happen at the time. So that was, that was, I guess, really what was behind the decision. I guess at 37, that probably seems a more natural choice. Do you think this is yeah. something that you would like to have had highlighted with you when you were even younger? And do you think that that's starting to change? Look, I think it is. Yes, I would have liked it highlighted. Um, well, I often think maybe should I have gone through it any earlier? And I think that I think I sort of did it at a right time. I think the technology was. I was very lucky. Um, I got the technology at a really good time. Um, I think for women now, having that. I think before thirty-five, I think you know, female fertility really does or can decrease, and that, that's quite known at that sort of 35-year-old, you know, once you hit 35. So it's it's something, I mean, I've been very fortunate. I had a really good um, outcome. Uh, but, yeah, look, I, I probably would, would encourage women now to look at it at that sort of those early 30 mark. Mm. So if you, because you froze your eggs at the age of 37, if your employer yep. came to you at that stage and said, look, I'm willing to pay for this, would you, would you have agreed? <laughs> You know, it's a really interesting question. At, look, I'll say this. At, at 37, and I think this is what a lot of women find, when they're freezing their eggs, they're probably doing it because they're in a single situation. So financial um, cost does play a part. And if someone did come and say, hey, look, I'm going to pay for it, I'd be like, well, okay, well, that's really worth considering. But um, I, I would have been open to it, yes, but I, I wasn't. My career was never a, a factor. It was never that I was putting off motherhood because I, you know, I wanted to advance my career. So I think it really it comes down to the individual to to know their own circumstance, um, and also to know that it's not a, you know, if your employer comes and says, "Oh well, I'm going to pay to you, I'm going to pay to freeze your eggs," there's no guarantee that that equals success as well. So I think you need to have a really clear understanding of your individual circumstance and then also the success of yeah. the procedure. And you were successful, Anna. You are a I mum. was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really lucky. I so froze the eggs at 37 and I became a mum at 41 with the eggs that I froze at 37. So Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a little 18 months, um, a little 18 months running around. And look, you know, it's it, it was a, a big decision, but... Had I not frozen my eggs in my 30s, in my late 30s, I wouldn't be a mother in my 40s. Mm. Anna, thank you so much. 18 months is such a great age too. Oh, you know, they're age. really yeah. becoming the, their <laughs> own little people. They're a handful. They're, they're, they sit that, down, but it's a wonderful age. Anna, thanks no, so much for joining us. No problem at all. There's an interesting text here, Jono, that says half the reason so many of us aren't having kids at an appropriate age is because of our hours. They're so long, we don't have time to date. Egg freezing just pressures us into being slaves in our 20s. And there's another one that says, I wonder if the employer, the employer is paying for the egg freezing sponsorship will also support appropriate levels of childcare down the track if women become or if women just become dispensable when they leave to have those children. Mm. And in that text, implicit in that text was people saying, oh, we just don't have time to date. Really interesting to see how 
COVID might affect that as well because if you are in your dating years, your courtship years, um, not heaps of dating opportunities throughout lockdown. No, and I just wonder in general because of lockdown where more women are considering freezing their eggs, whether, you know, like Anna, they're at an age where they think, okay, well, I'm not seeing anyone and I'm 37, maybe I will consider it. Or, yeah, you just can't meet anyone and it's an option well, it's an insurance policy as well, I guess, if you kind of, you know, if you get through your fertile years and then then you've got an option. Uh, there is also a text here saying, this seems a rather cynical move to stop women leaving the workforce. It's all about the money. Well, that's not what the companies are saying. So some of these um, pioneering companies in the US in Silicon Valley, Apple, Google, Facebook, they're saying this is about giving our employees choice. What do you think? Kirsty is in Hamilton. Good morning, Kirsty. Go ahead. Good morning, how are you? Good. That's good. Um, I just wanted to say I am eternally grateful and on a daily basis I'm just so thrilled that I now have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old as a result of the IVF and all of the additional technologies that are available. I was in my early 30s and found out that um, I had what was called premature ovarian failure that happens very quickly um, and I wouldn't be a mum if I didn't have the um, those technologies available. So that came out of a, the blue for me um, and I'm now going to have to think about how I explain to my daughter about maybe the need for egg freezing mm-hmm. for her and she, as I said, she's nine. Um, but it's something that we will look at for her as an insurance policy going forward. So, Do you think it will become more commonplace, Kirsty, that we will just start to have these conversations and that, I don't know, down the track they won't be five or $8,000. It'll be something that you can access through Medicare. I really hope so. I really hope the first step is having the conversations. Um, and I was, you know, given the ultimatum that if I wanted to try and have children, it was straight down the IVF track. We had to try and harvest eggs as quickly as we could. And um, that was very unlikely that we would get success, but thankfully we did. Um, but if I, I didn't have time on my side and I think if I wasn't informed and I had to go through that process quickly. So if I think we, we understood um, more widely that uh, fertility was decreasing and we were owning um, that information, we could make better decisions earlier on. Oh, good on you, Christy. Thank you for calling. James is in Elwood. G'day, James. What are your thoughts? Um, I would just want to add to the discussion the fact that it's very, very hard for – well, not very hard, but um, – Maternity leave conditions are never in standard employment contracts. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when when someone wants to have a have a baby, they've got to then go and ask their HR department, or if they're applying for a job, they've got to ask in the interview, um, showing their cards that they want to have a baby. You know, I, I don't know how many to... women actually show their cards at interviews, James. No, would... exactly. <laughs> you, you can't show your cards. Yeah, that's what I mean exactly. Yeah. So it's it's you know, companies already seem to act in their absolutely their own best interest. Um, and I can't How imagine... do you reckon it would flip, James, right? If I were, let's say you were my potential employer and I was coming in for a job interview and I was 30 and I said to you, so James, uh, would you consider paying for me to freeze my eggs so I can continue to work full-time over the next couple of years? How do you reckon it would go down if it was reversed and the, pl- the employee asked... It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I think that if someone wanted the employee enough, they should just pay them a little bit more and they can do whatever they want with their money. (laughs) Stay out of their reproduction. But, you know, I just, yeah, I just, I I still think that we've got a real problem in this country where you can't find out, you know, um, basic employment, you know, conditions Mm -hmm. out in the open without having to show your cards kind of thing. Yeah, good on you, James. Thank you for calling as well. And and Rish, just hearing you talk, then um, it it makes me wonder about whether you turn uh, the the tables as well, and if if uh, there's some kind of option for men to store their sperm because they might want to you know use it at a later date, or you know, so they're not spending time away from the workforce. I know, but how often are men spending time away from the workforce when a baby well, comes in? It. Six yeah. weeks max, if you're lucky, you know, and yep. even then you have to probably fight tooth and nail for that six weeks. And that is changing slowly. Yep. You know, so I, I totally agree with that. But it's generally the woman where even if you go for a job interview and you're a certain age, they're thinking, oh, well, how long is she going to be full time before, you know, yeah. I have to find a part time position for her? 
Yeah, and this it also plays into this wider debate, which has been going on for well hundreds of years now, I guess, around around women's bodies. You know, yeah. uh, who controls women's bodies, and you know, who owns should, them <laughs> exactly, and who gets to make the decisions around them, which has been an ongoing discussion for for a long time now. So, anyway, let's have a chat with Perry, who is in Bendigo. Morning, Perry. Morning, guys. How are we? Good. Good. What do you reckon? It's a tricky one. I love it. I'm, Good discussion. I love the idea of it. Don't get me wrong, it is a fantastic idea and there is definitely some complications that need to be worked out um, legally. I'm not going to argue that point. But the fact is, okay, so we've got a 20-year-old, anywhere 20 to mid-30s and they're definitely in that age bracket. They've been working for a company for an extended period of time and the boss go, at the start of the contract, we'll, we'll freeze your eggs and they've been working for them for an extended period of time. So, obviously, the cost of raising um, and bringing a child into the world nowadays is absolutely astronomical. Um, just what it cost myself and my wife um, in OBG is astronomical. Mm. We wouldn't change it for the world. But the fact is, if a company goes to a female and goes, okay, you most females want to carry a child and bring a new life yeah. in the world. So they go, okay, we'll freeze your eggs at the start of the con- at the start of your um, your employment here, um, and when it comes through to the point in time that you would like to get pregnant, by all means, they're yours. But so they've started working, and then the ability to build up a nest egg and build up some financial um, support behind them, and instead of renting, they can have a house and get all that all the big bills out of the way before they yeah. get ma- another massive one at the same time. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. yeah I guess yeah, it's just a little thinking long, long term, isn't it? I, and I think the way that you said but there, Perry, is interesting too because that's yeah. the crux of a lot of this, Jono, is looking at the, well, what are the buts? You know, can I access the eggs whenever I want? Uh, you know, are you paying for it or are you just giving me a bonus and am I paying for it? Do you own this? Do you, are there any guidelines, small print in any way? But I think Perry's um, other point that uh, he was making there is that, you know, often in your 20s, you're not as financially established, yes. whereas if you can hold off until you're in your 30s, you might own a house or you might, you know, be a bit more financially stable. Anyway, Molly Johnston is a researcher at Monash University Bioethics Centre. You've been doing research into this. Good morning, Molly. What has your research told us? Good morning. Uh, Yeah, we've been looking into essentially public um, attitudes and opinions towards egg freezing in general in terms of who should be accessing it, how it should be funded. And in particular, we have looked into what people think about this kind of emerging um, option of egg freezing being an employee benefit. So 656 Victorian women were surveyed. What did the majority of them tell you about egg freezing workplace sponsorship? Yeah, so we asked them whether they thought that that would be an appropriate offer. And we saw a small majority say that they did think it was appropriate. 42% said they did. Um, however, a large portion of the, of um, other participants said they were a little unsure about this option. Um, now, some of the reasons that people thought this could be a good you know, option and if it was provided by an employer was that, you know, it gave more options around family planning. So enabling people to maybe potentially better balance that kind of career, um, I guess, um, aspirations with kind of family planning. And it also gave them more time to whether that is to focus on their career or whether that is to kind of, you know, get into a position where they are ready to have um, children. So there was some, you know, quite positive views towards this as an option. However, on the other hand, we did see some people who, you know, were quite against this. And, you know, a lot of that kind of came down to arguments saying that, you know, family building and reproduction um, is mutually exclusive from work. Um, And this was kind of conceptualized in two ways. One um, view was that, you know, people thought that, you know, reproduction and um, family um, planning is the sole responsibility of the person. So if they make the decision to have children later in life, then they should be responsible for, you know, whether they need to access IVF and to fund fund that. Whereas other people were concerned that actually allowing your employer to pay for it is a conflict of interest um, because they are motivated to keep you in the workplace. So, you know, there was a little bit of, um, I guess, hesitancy and people being unsure about what the true motives of employees are when they are offering this to employees. 
Yeah, see, that's really interesting, I reckon. What sort of control, uh, what decision-making mm. power does the employer have over the employee yeah. if they've paid for the egg harvesting? Is it, have you looked into that, Molly? Yeah, it's a really hard thing to look into, to be honest, um, because, you know, this is something that is, you know, emerging in Australia, but in somewhere like the US, a lot of companies are offering this. Um, I think recent estimates said one in five large US companies are offering egg wow. freezing as a benefit. And when I was looking into, you know, what the structure of these policies were, it was really quite murky and it was very difficult to find how these are actually operating. Um, the only details I could find was, to, was uh, related to Facebook and essentially they just have kind of a lump sum um, uh, money that you can access and that can either be used for egg freezing or it could be used for IVF. Um, treatment if that's needed. But there was no details in regards to, you know, who is eligible to receive this? Do you have to work at the company for a certain amount of time? And, you know, I guess on the other end of that is, do you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can access those eggs? Yes, that's what I'm fascinated about. And a question, Molly, has come in on text, and I hadn't thought about this, and I so wish this was my question, but it's not. It's from an anonymous text. What if you leave or you're fired from that place of employment? Oh. Yeah, so, I'm, yeah, interesting again. Um, in Australia, if you were to uh, freeze your eggs, those eggs belong to you. So if you were fired or you changed jobs, the company can't claim those eggs because they are, they are yours. Um, however, they may have caveats in their policy that say, you know, if, you, if we pay for this and you leave within a month, um, you know, you have to reimburse us. But those details are not um, publicly available. And, you know, it is something that did contribute to a lot of the participants who we surveyed, their uncertainty around this because they they were wondering how would this even really work in practice. I wonder how much of this is about older generation and younger generation just thinking differently. Like, you know, because I flip around like a fish on the banks of the Yarra at the moment <laughs> when it comes to thinking about this. But maybe it's just because I'm a bit old. Like a, a younger women in particular going, yeah, man, sign me up. Like if you want to pay for it, no problems, and I'll work it all out. And I think this is a great idea. Yeah, well, we did actually see there was a significant association of age in relation to opinion towards this. And we did see younger people were more likely to be, um, you know, in favour of um, egg freezing as an employee benefit. Um, and I think that also kind of comes down to, you know, that there, as we discussed earlier in the program, about fertility awareness. Now, this is something that is improving and people, are, you know, are talking about it more. Um, you know, arguably not enough, but it is something that is more in an open conversation. So people are thinking about these options and, you know, we a lot of our participants, you know, the younger ones in particular said they'd be really interested in egg freezing, but they just can't think about it because they can't afford the cost. I wonder, Molly, if we're at the start of a timeline here whereby, um, you know, that it's, it is expensive at the moment. And we heard from Associate Professor Kate Stern earlier that it costs about five to $8,000 to harvest those eggs. And then you've got a yearly cost of a couple of hundred bucks to, to keep the eggs frozen. But I wonder if that price will come down, it will become more socially acceptable to freeze your eggs. And then eventually this sort of thing will just be covered under Medicare and so many more Australian women will be doing it. Do you think that will happen? Well, um, I think the costs of egg freezing are unlikely to come down. And the reason I say that is because, you know, the majority of providers of IVF in the country are, you know, private companies. So, you know, they are, you know, motivated to kind of have high prices and it's driven by demand. Um, the option, though, of funding, though, I think that is something that we could potentially look into and, you know, I've done a bit of research looking into this and I'm sure Associate Professor Stern mentioned it earlier about, um, you know, you can have access to Medicare rebates if, you know, the egg freezing cycle is medically indicated, for example, before cancer treatment. But for other people, say, for example, who don't have a partner and are wanting to freeze their eggs, there is no rebate available there. But I think that this kind of points to a big problem in terms of the way that Medicare is structured for IVF is that, you know, there is no cap on the number of cycles that are rebated later in life. So women or, sorry, couples of, you know, advanced ages can go through IVF treatment even though their chances of success are quite low and receive rebates for that. 
So potentially it might be a better use of public funding if we were to invest in something like egg freezing that could help people um, achieve or conceive later in um, the future and have a higher chance of conceiving. There's a text here from Kelly. Rish and Jono, what an interesting topic. Doesn't this remove a woman's body autonomy by involving your employer? It's a little bit of a landmine of problems for me, but if it's something that both parties can agree to, then maybe that's their business. Does it just sort of come down to the individual person and the individual employer? Well, yeah, that is actually one of the big things that is, you know, often brought up in the debate about employers offering to fund egg freezing, about what impact that will have on women's choices and autonomy. So people who see this positively say that it gives them more options and more choices. But people who, um, you know, don't see this as, you know, in a, such a positive life say that, you know, this is actually um, a kind of an empty offer because it's subliminally sending this message that, you know, you should be delaying having children kind of takes away the other option of, well, or you could have children right now. But I think what's really important in this, and um, it comes down to education and um, providing adequate and accessible information so individuals can make the right choices for them, whether that is to pursue having children now or whether that's you know looking into something like egg freezing. Yeah, look, fascinating. Your research is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, so thank really. you for coming on to talk about it, Molly. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Molly Johnston, researcher at Monash University Bioethics Centre, and her work, Rish, as we just heard, Mm. showing that half of the respondents to that survey that she ran showed that they would be open to Mm. their employer paying for their eggs to be frozen. And in the States, that one in five of the big companies, one in five now are offering this as a perk. But that's where it gets interesting too, and as lots of people are saying on text as well, the health system in the US is very different to our health system here as well. But it's still... A, a huge number. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. And I was just wondering earlier, Rish, whether eventually this sort of process, um, getting your eggs frozen, would be covered by Medicare. David from Coburg is very sceptical of that. He says uh, egg freezing will never be covered by Medicare. Maybe another insurance could cover mm. it. And also people, this doesn't have a text, a, a name on this text, but it just says a word of caution, success rate mm. uh, of a baby for a frozen eggs is not fantastic. So this doesn't guarantee yeah. any future babies. So, I mean, it's an option. Yeah, Paul and Sale sent a message saying before we go looking at freezing egg and sperm at the expense of the Australian taxpayer, how about we cover dental care on Medicare as well? So, but you know, maybe dental care through your workplace <laughs> is probably higher on the list for a lot of people than egg freezing. But it's a growing trend in the states, and yep. judging from that research that was done by Monash University, I was surprised, I have to say, mm. by the amount of women that went, "Yeah, I actually think it's you know a good idea or or something that I'd." consider. Yep, yeah, and I think particularly in Silicon Valley where there's it's just really high competition to get employees and to get skilled employees into some of those big companies, the employees are trying to look at all the perks they can to try and get people on board and this is what they're looking at and I guess you know, usually Australia follows in the footsteps of America, so it's it'll, quite it'll an interesting junket though, really, isn't mm, it? When it you is. It. Samantha's yeah. in Ascot Vale. Hi Sam, what do you think? Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for taking my call. I want to kind of flip the conversation a bit and say, like, I would prefer to see um, men's involvement in child rearing more supported by employers and have them offering as an an alternative equal paternity pay um, to maternity leave. And especially in the States, their maternity leave is, is much less than what we have. But even in private companies in Australia, men only get up a, a week to two weeks. So if, if the motive of the employer was to have a woman continue to work for as long as possible and freeze her eggs and not go part-time and take maternity leave, if the partner, a male or female, was given more support, then that conversation becomes a little bit defunct about freezing eggs. Yes. So like having men step into the more into the role of parenting and not having it all incumbent on women and actually supporting men company in attitude and in um, junket to actually be more of a parent to children and there's less of yeah. this issue of women having to step back. Mm. Samantha, thank you so much for that. And I I do have to note here because Bass Coast Shire Council is a bit of a leader in this space. 
Um, they're setting a, well, a number of firsts for local government that they will immediately remove the difference between primary and secondary carers, meaning mothers, fathers and same-sex partners are now entitled to the same amount of leave wow. because that's exactly what Samantha was talking about there. How are they going to enforce that? I mean, I think it's incredible. I'm always pleasantly surprised by the Bass Coast and what they do there. For such a little part of Victoria, they are often leaders. So how do they do that? Like, how do they manage to make that work and enforce it? Well, I guess, I mean, all employers can offer um, paternity leave, a, a set amount of paternity leave and a set amount of maternity leave. And I guess you just open that up to everyone. But this is, so there's four, 400 employees of Bass Coast. They're going to increase paid parental leave from 14 weeks to 16 weeks for both parents. So is this mm. the start? Is this the start of something that, um, that all companies will be, will be looking at something like that as well? Trisha's in Mooney Ponds. Hi, Trisha. Hi, this is a fascinating conversation. As someone, I'm 75, and I had my first child when I was um, in my 40s, early 40s, so put off having children for a whole range of reasons. I think there are, besides the ethical issues of uh, the, the myriad um, about the freezing of the eggs, from medical issues through to the ethics of it and the ownership issues, there is an elitism in it as well. That companies uh, where people are paid a lot yeah. already, yeah. where um, they're, they're highly sought after, this will be available yeah. to them. So that's another ethical issue. However, on the other side, if you really want to keep women in the workforce, we've learned a lot from COVID. We've learned an enormous amount about being able to work from home in a flexible way where both parents can be involved. And if companies want to really keep women in the workforce, they'll put a lot more money into childcare, really high-quality childcare. Oh, Trisha, yeah. these are all such really great points and we discussed that exact your first point around well does this become almost an elitist conversation because it's mm. only going to be offered as a perk if that's what you see it as within yes. certain companies isn't it it's not going to be offered to you depending on what sort of work you do and what you get paid no it's not something that's available to the whole community yeah it's available only at the moment and probably forever um, to women who already have the capacity to earn the money they need to do this. Mm. And Trisha, uh, just before you go, if if your boss had come to you and offered you this, offered for them to pay to freeze your eggs, what would you have said? Well, for a whole range of reasons, I would have said no. One, the main reason is I would not trust most companies <laughs> that I would be still... In, in control of what this yeah. was about. Mm. Trisha, and it's been really interesting speaking with you. You raised such so many great points. Thank you. I mean, there's a text here which says very similar things to what Trisha was saying. How about we encourage women to have children earlier without freezing their eggs and we become more willing to employ older women once they've had their children rather than trying to just force women to stay in the workplace? Well, there's some really interesting kind of offshoots from this conversation as well around how we prioritise work and raising a family in our life. Do we kind of say that work is more important in your 20s than raising a family? Or or is it more important to raise a family in your 20s? And then it comes down to the whole, oh, this is why it's such a good chat, right? It comes down to the whole thing of, well, what if you actually don't even want children as well? Yep. And that work is something that's most important to you. Where I find it fascinating is for women who are elite sports people. And yep. when you are at your peak in your mid-20s or your late-20s. Lisa Alexander is the former coach of the Australian women's netball team at the Diamonds and is currently working as a high-performance consultant. Lisa, is it common or is it starting to at least be discussed that maybe uh, sporting leagues, sporting codes, should be paying for women to freeze their eggs? Yes, it actually has been discussed. It has been discussed at the uh, Players' Association level and... Some of our athletes have come out and spoken about it as well at links, um, particularly their issues with getting pregnant later after their netball careers. Um, Liz Ellis has written a book about it, our ex-Australian Diamonds captain, um, and the painful decisions that are made 
um, by some of our past players particularly. And our current players are, are kind of taking a different tact, I think. You'll see um, Kim Revillian and also Gretel Tippett, uh, well, Gretel Buetta, who have both chosen to have their children mid-career in their um, netball careers. And they are now going back to the workplace, which is their uh, netball career, uh, with obviously having to take note of having their children cared for, etc. And there's some very, very good provisions within the Players Award for them to have that support, extra support for the first 12 months. Uh, however, we know that that doesn't end there. And I have noticed very carefully, and April Brandley's the same, is that the partners of those women have been very, very supportive in the case of, of Kim Revillian, she's had her mother who's who's helped her out there. So they're very conscious of it and it has been discussed quite a lot with our athletes. I know that as uh, the head coach of the Diamonds, our doctor at the time, Dr Sophie Armstrong, had some very interesting and depth conversations about this with individuals and, you know, I can't go into those because they're confidential, but in general... You know, she had some very, um, I guess, educative conversations with our players about the fact that they can't put off having children forever, mm. um, that they have got cycles that do get interfered with because of the nature of the training that they do. And yep. we particularly in netball have some players that have a particular hormonal um I guess, story that says it is more difficult any case because that tends to be the ones that have more testosterone in their system um, because of the nature of their, their build of their bodies. So it is a, it's a mm. complex, complex story. So is, that's really, really interesting. Is that, does that mean that for many netballers anyway, that if they do try and wait, and you know, you spoke about Liz Ellis there writing in her book about this, if they do try and wait until their netball career is over, that they you know, could have some real problems conceiving? Yes, it has been, and that's the case with you know, quite a few netballers I know. Um, but also, thankfully, many of them can get pregnant as soon as they stop their um, netball career. Renee... Ingalls is a case in point. She really thought she was going to have trouble and then all of a sudden she ended up with twins. Um, so thankfully there's some mm. great news stories around that as well. It's just that I think it's the education side of it with our young athletes that's really, really important. We need to get that across to them very early and they can make some decisions about their careers for the future. But also a change in attitude from sporting leagues as well that you can have a child mid-career and come back and be supported because that's something that's probably changed. I remember reading, I think it was the Australian Ballet and they are world leaders in that, especially if you're a principal dancer and we know that a, you know, a ballet dancer's career is very short, that they have a really great maternity uh, and support package in, at the Australian Ballet, which is kind of unheard of within that section of the arts around the globe. So is that starting to change, Lisa Alexander, when it comes to supporting women to be able to have a family mid-career and come back and not have an admin role but still, you know, be on the court? Yes, it has and that's there's no doubt about that. It's not perfect and what I also want to say to you all is that there is a history in our sport of women coming back after they've had children. Marg Keldo came back to, uh, to Captain Australia at the 1979 World Championships and I know our more experienced older players get a little bit, well, there's no other way to say it, narky. They did do this back in their day. Now, we're not saying that their level of high performance was probably, it's, it's absolutely full bore now and it's a career for our young players, but it has been done in the past. What I think we do need is a change of attitude that you were talking about, the sports being proactive about the fact, yes, they're young women, they're getting married, they've got partners, and it's not just, obviously, our heterosexual um, couples. It's also our same-sex couples. Um, Ash Brazel and Brooke Brazel are a case in point there. So we want to be all round much more supportive. I love the idea of the Bass Coast Shire, and I used to live down in Lee and Gatha near that shire. What a fabulous 
way of leading mm. in saying that it is, they are fair income about supporting parents, um, not just women, you know, and trying to, you know, put it down to just being a woman's responsibility. It's a family responsibility. It's a societal responsibility. And we do, I mean, most people will admit that we do have a gender pay gap in Australia and we've got a problem with the gender pay gap. And part of that comes from when you, when women step away from their career in some of the key earning years of their life, they step away and, and have children. Do you think that something like this, you know, um, netball teams paying for uh, eggs to be frozen, do you think that will help to change that? Uh, look, yes, in a very, very... I think it, I agree with your caller. I think it's elitist in many respects. I can ask my own daughter who's been a netballer and I asked her, are you going to freeze your eggs? She said, Mum, I can't afford it. So there is an elitism aspect to this. What I would rather see is our, is our sports and organisations like the Bass Coast Shire getting fed income about childcare, supporting families and parents to continue to work even if they are, they are working at the very high performance end that they are. So things like making sure carers can come on tour and have you know, their accommodation yeah. paid for when the, the players are playing, that's probably more important than saying to people, we're going to freeze your eggs for you. So such a good conversation. Lisa, thanks so much for your time. Wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Well, it's Lisa Alexander. She's the former coach of the Australian women's netball team, the Diamonds, currently working as a high-performance consultant. This is a text from Paulie in Geelong. Rich and Jono, so what if... Hang on, sorry. What, so they offer women staff to have children or women that don't want to have children. This could divide the workforce. So if it's offered for a perk to some but not others, so you don't want to have children but, you know, the woman who sits beside you does and I guess they're getting a, a financial perk and you're not. Well, the, yeah, there's a lot of murky areas around this. I mean, a lot of questions around what... Uh, that entitles the employer, but also how it's doled out, which employers will offer it. You know, I can't see uh, supermarket staff, for example, being offered this compared to other, you know, higher... And yet they're probably the organisations that have the most money. <laughs> exactly, exactly, that are doing the best. Claire in Geelong says, in a corporate setting, my peers and I feel we need to reach a certain level of seniority before we can afford to take a break in our careers to have children. If early career women were given fast-tracked leadership opportunities, we could afford to take that break earlier without needing to freeze our eggs. Now, I have heard that, Rish, that women feel like they need to get into their career, kind of establish themselves before they can afford to kind of take time away. So maybe, well, maybe this would change this. Yeah, I, 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 I actually think Claire's given us a buzz. Claire, I mean, Jono was just talking about what you were saying there. I mean, how, you've been listening to this conversation. How do you feel? Oh, I think it's really, really interesting and I'm, I've been enjoying listening to it and hearing the different perspectives. I think for corporates to offer to freeze your eggs, they've maybe got the wrong end of the stick. Like, instead, why don't they look at the opportunities that we're given so that we don't really need to freeze our eggs? What would you do if it was offered as a perk? Let's say you're going for a job <laughs> interview and they said, you know, we offer X amount on superannuation, four weeks a year and you'll leave, you get public holidays and we'll freeze your eggs. I heard someone make the point earlier that, you know, just give them the cash and they can decide what to do with it. I, I don't think it's a, it's a fair thing to offer that service in particular. You know, everyone should be given the same opportunity in terms of the money and then they can decide if they want to freeze their eggs, go for it. But, you know, some people don't want to have kids. So does that mean that they're not then entitled that to that money? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and did point. you feel, you know, getting into your career that you had to do a few years before you would feel comfortable to then go away and start a family? Yeah, absolutely. I, I still feel that way. I'm still trying to get my next promotion so that I then feel comfortable that I could take that break and come back in at a level that, you know, um, allows me to continue to progress. Yeah. Claire, thank you so much. And I wonder too if it was to become popular here in Victoria. I mean, I don't want to base my research on Miranda from Sex in the City, but, you know, I wonder whether law firms in particular, where anecdotally, you know, we hear that it's quite rare for women to make partner compared to men, that if women go off to have children, that when they come back, it takes a long, long time for them to progress and make their way up the chain because they're just not able to do the hours. Or, so, or they'll come back and their job is has been given to someone else. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very real risk as well. Karen is in Croydon North. Morning, Karen. What are you thinking? 
Good morning. Um, yes, very interesting topic. I was in my late to mid-30s when I had my children, so I had quite a career. Uh, my husband and I made the decision for me to stay at home and raise the kids, which I was absolutely more than happy to do. I would not change that. But now that 15 years on, I'm ready to go back into the workforce. I find it so challenging to try to get a foot back in the door. So I think it's a shame there's not a system where women can support each other, where perhaps somebody that's younger that wants to step out of the workforce for a while can go and do that and have children. And I could sort of step back in, fill the breach, get some experience back again, get my foot back in the door. But then what happens to the the mum that's, you know, do you take her job, Karen? Like what happens when she wants to come back in? No, I think it's a shame that there's not even such a system where we could sort of just even, uh, for example, I'm sort of in the accounting area, that you could sort of easily step in and out of roles and if that's what you wanted to do, that you could do that to fill those breaches and fill those gaps. Um, it's like a tag team. Yeah, <laughs> a bit like that. Just somehow if we could women, being women could support each other a little bit more so that everyone sort of could reach the goals that they're trying to reach at certain times in life. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, thank you for your call. And so many people on the text line, Rish, are saying, look, this isn't the main game. Freezing eggs isn't the main game. It's really about childcare and paternity leave. This one says childcare and paternity leave for both genders should be the bigger focus to ensure women can end up back in the workforce sooner. Egg freezing in a job would just be a bonus for high paid workers, not Mm -hmm. the whole of society. So, yeah, lots of different opinions. But generally, yeah, people saying uh, the same amount of paternity leave and maternity leave would, would be a start. Let's end with Jenna and Bentley. Jenna, what do you think? Hey, guys, I'm a, I'm a GP and I, I just, I get really nervous when, um, you know, social freezing or freezing eggs is referred to as a guarantee of fertility. That's still, you know, relatively new technology and it's definitely not guaranteed that you that all the eggs will survive the freezing and that you will then go on to to have, um, you know, uh, pregnancy. So it's, it's uh, I get a little bit nervous if it's, it's sold as a guarantee and people put off their fertility and then it, it doesn't work out for them. Um, it's still much better to try earlier <laughs> so it's not it's not a guarantee and we've had a couple of people say that um this morning as well but do you think it the price of of this will come down we we're told about five to eight thousand dollars to do it and then a yearly fee do you think it will get cheaper oh it hasn't gotten any cheaper in in the last five years or so it's still very expensive and out of reach of most people um Maybe if more if, if there's more competition, I suppose. But yeah, it hasn't recently. Jenna, thank you so much. What a great call to end on. Jono, I don't know whether I've felt more <laughs> conflicted, confused. I've flipped around. I still don't know how I feel about this and how oh. I would react if it was an option. But it has been fascinating to hear everybody's perspectives on this. Yeah, I think I'm in the maybe camp on this one. I'm sitting on the fence. fence, Yeah, definitely, definitely because I think I want to know more. I I, want to know that there's legal protection, that if you're going to do this, that if your employer is going to pay for this, that you've got legal protection and I want to read the fine print, to be honest. If you want to listen back, the best way to do that is subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. Maybe you might want to share it with a friend as well. Go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on annual leave. Jono's back with you tomorrow. Till then, take care.